Welcome to the Cytokine Signaling Forum's highlights from ACR 2021, where authors take us through their posters and presentations on cytokine signaling and JAK inhibitors. My name is Len Calabrese. I'm the head of the Cleveland Clinic's section of clinical immunology. You know, patient reported outcomes are incredibly important. They have links to patient satisfaction and adherence. ACR 2021 had some really fascinating presentations on PROs from pain to fatigue, which are so important to patients. And now we're gonna take a look at them. Hi, um, my name is Louis Besset. I'm a rheumatologist in Quebec City and associate professor at Laval University. And it's a real pleasure to present you the result of our project, uh, the impact of early pain improvement on patient reported outcomes in patient with psoriasis arthritis. It's a result of the phase three studies. So why doing that analysis? As rheumatologists, we know that pain is a dominant feature of PSA uh, and other rheumatic diseases. Also, uh, joint pain affects a lot of our patients uh, in terms of quality of life. Uh, it has an impact on fatigue, it has an impact on work productivity, it has an impact on function. So I think it's very important to understand the what it's mean for the patient in terms of pain improvement and the impact of their quality of life in, uh, in our clinic. So to do this analysis, we uh, use the data from the phase three select PSA-1 study. Uh, select PSA-1 study was a study that evaluated the uh, eff efficacy of two doses of UPA, upadacitinib, 15 milligrams once daily and 30 milligrams once daily against placebo. Uh, PSA-1 also had an, an active harm, a delibimab 40 milligram every other week. For this analysis, we took the patient who had at baseline, um, you know, a patient global assessment of pain on numeric rating scale uh, of at least two, so a score of two, and we defined pain improvement by achieving a score of less than four on this numeric rating scale and an improvement of at least two points from baseline. So the first analysis we did is to look at the proportion of patient in each treatment harm achieving meaningful pain improvement through week 24, as I defined before, what, you know, the, what the meaningful pain improvement mean for this analysis. Second, we look also at among those achieving meaningful pain improvement at week four in each treatment arm, what was the proportion of patients achieving it at week 24? So they maintain their pain improvement between week four and 24. And lastly, but not the least, we were very interested among those patients who achieve what we define meaningful pain improvement uh, at week four and at week 24, what was a proportion of patients reporting at least a minimum clinically important difference at week 24 on diff different patient reported outcomes, such as HAGDI, the fatigue measure as, uh, with the facet scale, the SF36 physical and mental component summary scale, RECOL 5D, work productivity and activity impairment. So these uh, are the main description of our methodology. So what we did find actually, 
So for the first analysis, what we found is that a significantly greater proportion of patients had meaningful pain improvement with UPA both doses, 15 and 30 milligrams, and ADA, adalibumab, compared to placebo. And that, and we saw the difference starting at week two, as you can see on figure one on the poster. We also found that Compared with adalibumab, a significantly greater proportion of patients achieved meaningful pain improvement with UPA 15 milligram, and that difference was seen at week 20. And also for UPA 30 milligram, and that difference was seen at week four. Second analysis, as I mentioned, is to, was to look at the proportion of patients who maintain week four improvement at week 24. And the proportion of patients who obtained that, you know, meaningful pain improvement at week four and maintain that meaningful pain improvement at week 24 was between 82 and 87% with no major difference between a different group. And for the last analysis, uh, as I mentioned, we wanted to look at the impact of a meaningful pain improvement on patient-related outcome at week 24. So for those patients who attain meaningful pain improvement at week 24, and this is presented in figure three, a significantly greater proportion of patients reported value at least of the MCID for all reported patient outcomes at week 24. So as an example for FACIT, fatigue is a very important part of, you know, uh, you know, outcome in our patients, it's very important for patients to improve fatigue over time. So for those who achieve this meaningful pain improvement at week 24, 72% of these patients had at least a minimally important difference at week 24 on the facet scale compared to 44% of patients who did not achieve that meaningful pain improvement. It was the same for all the other outcomes at the high 72 compared to 34%. And this is presented in figure four. We also look at those patients who pain improvement, you know, meaningful pain improvement occur at week four. Uh, what was the impact on MCID for patient reported outcome? And we found very, very similar data. So in conclusion, what we can see is that, you know, there's a greater proportion of patients achieving meaningful pain improvement with UPA and ADA versus placebo, and that difference was seen at week two, so very early pain improvement. There were also meaningful pain improvement by week four and week 24, and that pain improvement was associated where more patients reporting uh, improvement of at least the MCID on different health-related quality of life and PROs at week 24. And overall, meaningful early improvement, so one patient improved very early in PSA, is closely linked with clinically relevant improvement in other outcomes, uh, as I mentioned, health-related quality of life and physical function. So I think these results are very important because in rheumatology patients come in our clinic because they have pain. They don't really care about swollen joint. They really have pain, impact on function, fatigue, and it's, it has an impact on every uh, aspect of their life. So what they want really is the rapid improvement of pain. And this is what we can achieve with these medications. And by achieving uh, a meaningful pain improvement uh, very early has a major impact on patient reported outcome over time. 
So thank you for your attention. Hi, this is Vibika Strand, and I'm an adjunct clinical professor in the Division of Immunology and Rheumatology at Stanford. And I'm presenting poster number 741, assessing the relationship of patient global assessment of disease activity and health-related quality of life with other patient-reported outcomes in rheumatoid arthritis, post hoc analyses of data from phase three trials of baricitinib. And I want to include a thanks to my co-authors and particularly to Peter Taylor, who is going to be standing, quote unquote, by the poster during the virtual ACR. So what we know already and has been published is that baricitinib treatment results in statistically significant and clinically meaningful improvements in patient reported outcomes versus placebo. And this includes patient populations that were methotrexate naive in RA begin, CSDMART incomplete responders in RA beam, and BioDMART IR patients in RA beacon. So these analyses were designed to examine the relative importance of several PROs on patient global assessment of disease activity and health-related quality of life, looking at the SF36 physical and mental component scores, PCS and MCS, and to assess whether there were differences between patients who achieved low disease activity or remission versus those who did not. And the PROs included patient global assessment, disease activity, pain, facet fatigue, morning stiffness, and HAC disability index. So there were multiple regression analyses that were performed for the overall population, as well as those two subgroups that I mentioned to you, those with CDI scores of less than or equal to 2.8, therefore in remission, those with CDI scores that were less than or equal to 10 and therefore low disease activity versus those without either remission or LDA. And this was at baseline in week 24 and standardized parameter estimates for each PRO are presented. Now, what we were looking at is correlations between these various patient reported outcomes across the three randomized controlled trials. And we already know that pain is strongly correlated with patient global assessment of disease activity. And again, this is shown here uh, with a correlation of 0.89 to 0.92, which is quite high. And from regression analyses, we also know that it is the most important influencing factor for patient global. Pain was also negatively correlated with SF36 PCS and MCS scores, more so with PCS, minus 0.63 to minus 0.69, versus MCS about half of that, minus 0.32 to minus 0.34, so low correlations. Facet fatigue was moderately positively correlated with the PCS and MCS scores in range of 0.65 to 0.7. And again, it was the most important influencing factor across the regression analyses for SF36 mental component scores. Facet fatigue and patient global were moderately negatively correlated, which is interesting, but certainly indicates how important fatigue can be. The hack disability index was moderately positively correlated with patient global and was the most important influencing factor for PCS scores. It was also strongly negatively correlated with PCS at correlations of minus 0.75 to minus 0.8 but weakly negatively correlated with MCS scores. 
And interestingly, duration of morning stiffness was weakly correlated with patient global and PCS scores, and even more weakly with MCS scores. And in part, this may be because we know morning stiffness tends not to change as rapidly, even in clinical trials. So what's interesting is when we looked at the regression analyses, according to patients categorized by CDI responses, we saw similar results, whether they were in low disease re or remission or non-responders. So thank you very much. Hi, I'm Hannah Kim, an assistant clinical investigator and head of the Juvenile Myositis Pathogenesis and Therapeutics Unit at the National Institute of Arthritis and Musculoskeletal and Skin Diseases, or NIAMS, at the NIH in Maryland. At the 2021 ACR Convergence meeting, I presented poster number 0773 on behalf of my co-authors entitled Janice Kainase, or Jack Inhibition, with Baricitinib, Dosing and Patient Reported Outcomes in Refractory Juvenile Dermatomyositis, or GDM. To provide some background, JDM is a systemic autoimmune disease with a prominent interferon signature, which has been found to correlate with disease activity. Standard treatment is empiric with high-dose corticosteroids and other immunomodulatory agents, though most patients still have a polycyclic or chronic disease course. Janase kinase or JAK inhibitors can target the interferon signaling pathway, and Mendelian interferonopathies have been successfully treated with JAK inhibitors. We assess baricitinib, one of the JAK inhibitors, in active refractory JDM as part of a compassionate use program. We demonstrated efficacy by decreases in validated disease activity measures and proof of concept with decreased interferon markers by 24 weeks. This was published in Annals of Rheumatic Disease last year. Briefly to review the cohort and what was found by 24 weeks, these four JDM patients were between five and 20 years of age at enrollment and were still active despite trying three to six disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs and or biologic agents. All four had refractory skin disease and two also had active muscle involvement. Improvement was noted in both skin and muscle disease by standard validated measures, which was supported by objective photography of rashes and MRI of muscles. Baricitinib was provided by Eli Lilly and Company, the sponsor of the Expanded Access Program. In this study, we focus on patient-reported outcomes and dosing with extended follow-up through 72 weeks. Regarding the methods, we collected four patient-reported outcomes. One was a daily symptom diary score we created with patients noting the impact of four symptom categories, rash, musculoskeletal pain, fatigue, and weakness on a scale from zero or no impact to four or maximal impact. This was done daily. Daily scores were averaged between clinic visits. The other three measures were the patient global activity by visual analog scale, childhood health assessment questionnaire or CHAC, and the childhood health questionnaire physical summary score or CHQ-PHS. These have all been established and validated as juvenile myositis core disease activity measures. Linear mixed models were used to compare measures to baseline. Safety and tolerability were assessed. Baricitinib dosing utilized previously published dosing and pharmacokinetics established in pediatric Mendelian interferonopathies based on weight and renal function, which includes an option to escalate doses. In the results, we graphed the outcomes for each patient at baseline and then at 4, 8, 12, 24, and 72 weeks. So that timeline is not linear. The mean daily symptom diary score decreases over time, reflecting significantly decreased symptoms. 
By week 72, there was a 68 to 83% decrease. The patient global activity was also significantly decreased, reflecting decreased disease activity. By week 72, there was a decrease from a mean of 5.9 out of 10 to a mean of 1.7 out of 10 with a 48 to 92% decrease. The CHAC disability index scores decreased indica indicating less disability, specifically decreasing from a mean of 1.13 to a mean of 0.66 out of three. The CHQ-PHS for the three pediatric patients increased, indicating better physical function related quality of life. All four measures show notable improvement between week 24 and week 72. Regarding dosing, patients were started on four to eight milligrams a day of baricitinib divided BID or TID. By week 72, patients were on five to 12 milligrams a day divided BID based on renal function, safety labs, and or efficacy. There were no serious adverse events. Infections were the most common adverse event and the most common infection was upper respiratory infection. No adverse events required holding or discontinuing baricitinib. In conclusion, refractory juvenile dermatomyositis patients on baricitinib had improved patient-reported outcomes with significantly less symptoms and disease activity reported. They also reported less disability and better physical function-related quality of life. For all of these patient-reported outcomes, there was continued improvement beyond 24 weeks or six months. Minor baricitinib dosing adjustments were made within previously established dosing for pediatric Mendelian interferonopathies. Baricitinib continued to be generally well-tolerated with extended follow-up. Thank you for your attention. So good morning. My name is Bruno Fautrel. I'm professor of rheumatology at Sorbonne University in Paris, and I'm very happy to present you a, a summary of the abstract we are presenting during the SER uh, 2021 meeting, uh, a, a poster that we have done with my colleague Tsutsumu uh, Takushi in Japan, and all our colleagues from Lili, since it was based on a post-hoc analysis of two randomized controlled trials conducted with baricitinib. So the title of the poster is Treatment Effect of Baricitinib on Fatigue, Mediation Analysis, Results from Two Phase Three Trials. So as you know, fatigue is always or, or very frequently a problem for physicians and for patients, of course, because we are used to adapt and to adjust our treatment based on disease activity. And even though the disease activity is well controlled, we have frequently patients complaining from remaining fatigue, and we are not completely comfortable with, with fatigue management, which can be linked to the disease, which can be linked to other uh, phenomena. And here in this uh, abstract, what we wanted is to probably understand more deeply uh, the relation between disease activity and fatigue and the potential effect of baricitinib on this specific uh, patient re uh, reported outcome, as we did a few uh, months and years ago about pain. So uh, what we did, it, we used the data from two randomized controlled trials conducted with baricitinib. One trial was ARA-BEAM, um, con randomized controlled trial conducted in ARA patient with an inadequate response to methotrexate. And patients were randomized uh, in three arms. One was a placebo, one was baricitinib at the usual dosage of four milligrams uh, per day, and one um, patient received adalimumab at 40 milligrams every other week. 
And the second trial was a, a slightly different population with every patient with an inadequate response to TNF blockers, so people who were more experienced uh, with regard to uh, every treatment. And these patients were randomized either uh, on placebo or by stinib 2 milligrams per day or by stinib 4 milligrams per day. And to analyze the data, we use a specific uh, statistical method, which name is mediation analysis. And the, the, the objective of this method was to identify an indirect uh, impact or effect of the treatment on fatigue, which was the, 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 the outcome of interest in this uh, postdoc analysis. Uh, an effect which goes indirectly from uh, disease activity reduction, then uh, fatigue improvement, or to identify a direct effect related to the compound on fatigue, irrespective of an impact on disease activity. So to assess this activity, we use the CDI, and we in the model, we included the CDI, the, which was dependent variable, which may impact fatigue, and two independent variables, which corresponded to the treatment by CTMIL or adalimumab for the study been study. So the, the main result of the of this the poster of the of this study was that the, the profile is approximately the same between the two diseases, with one part of the impact of treatment of biocitinib on fatigue, which is related to disease activity improvement. And for example, in the Airbeam study, between 50 and 70% of this change in fatigue was related to an improvement or reduction in SIDA in disease activity. But it means that between 30 and 50% of the impact of biostimulant fatigue was not related to this activity and was uh, linked to a direct effect on fatigue of biostimulant, which is a very interesting uh, finding. And when we compare this with adalimumab in the Arabim study, we saw that the impact of adalimumab on fatigue was less important and we also saw that the direct effect of adalimumab on fatigue was lower, let's say, uh, between um, 20 and 30% of the impact uh, of, the, of adalimumab directly on fatigue and not via disease activity improvement. And this study has been confirmed with the every uh, beacon um, uh, population, so the population which was already experienced with biologic DMAD and who had an inadequate response to a previous uh, biologic DMAD. And there, it was only patient treated with biostitinib, when we see exactly the same with a significant impact, direct impact of biostitinib on fatigue. So um, this postdoc analysis is very important for us to understand in what extent we may act on fatigue and of course, the, the improvement in this activity and the reduction in this activity, thanks to any DMARD, uh, either biological DMARD or, or targeted synthetic DMARD, such as JAK inhibitor, it, it may be observed thanks to the, 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 the effect of the, of the drug on this activity. But there is a, a, a signal and a trend to say that with biocitinib, there is a direct effect on fatigue. And we had exactly the same picture as what at 
than uh, the one we had a few uh, months or year ago about pain, which is that maybe with JAK inhibitor and specifically with baricitinib, we have a direct impact on pain and on fatigue. So it doesn't mean that we can control all this um, phenomenon, fatigue, with only the action of, of, of baricitinib, but it shows that there are differences between the different DMARs that we may use. And among all these DMARs, baricitinib are probably one of those with the highest impact directly on fatigue and, of course, of pain, on pain, as we saw uh, in previous meeting. So I would thank you for, for your attention, and we hope to see you during the live session uh, of the SCR meeting. Uh, good morning, dear colleagues. I very appreciate your invitement to a such uh, interesting meeting. And uh, my name is Yelena Pagozhova, and I'm a rheumatologist from the uh, Nasonova Research Institute of Rheumatology in Moscow. I'd like to introduce my report, uh, Tofotocinib in rheumatoid arthritis. Is there a correlation between a rapid analgetic effect and decrease in activity after three months and six months of therapy? Uh, so a little about background. So they know that the main manifestation of rheumatoid arthritis are the inflammatory destructive arthritis, chronic pain, fatigue, functional disorders, anxiety, and depression, which are part of the patient report outcomes. Uh, these manifestations of the disease cause the greatest suffering, uh, a decrease in the quality of life and social activity of patients. Therefore, a positive impact on the pros is today the most important aspect of evaluation of results of ERA therapy. Uh, so, uh, we know the two main ways that uh, the immune inflammation can influence the pain. First of all, it's uh, a peripheral uh, sensitization due to local inflammation uh, due to systemic increase in cytokine levels. And uh, the second way is the notoplastic process. And uh, the signs of central sensitization uh, that the cytokines affects on the nervous and glial cells and affect uh, the transmission uh, in neural system. And uh, of course, due to uh, psychological distress and uh, some effects of uh, uh, central nervous system causing inflammation. The high analgetic effect of uh, tofacetinib, uh, the first drug in this uh, place a predominantly JAK1 free inhibitor is determined by its ability to block the JAK start signaling pathway and suppress cytokine mediate expression of genes uh, responsible for the systemic of inflammatory and pain mediators. Uh, JAK start block prevents the development of a central sensitization, then the nervous system becomes more sensitive to pain. So we know that tofacitinib has been associated with rapid uh, sustained pain reduction in patients with inflammatory rheumatic diseases. This post-hoc analysis used data from the following double-blind placebo-controlled trials, uh, which have evaluated the 
impact of tofacitinib on patients reported pain. Uh, it's uh, seven RCT uh, of patients with rheumatoid arthritis, uh, psoriatic arthritis, and uh, one uh, about ankylosing spondylitis. And this study show that the market pain reduction occurs already in the first month of the disease. Uh, but the relationship between the rapid pain reduction and uh, activity of the disease is a long observation period is not well known. Uh, so the aim of our study was to assess the relationship between the earlier clinical response to tofacitinib and the decrease in rheumatoid arthritis activity after three and six months. Uh, so uh, our study um, was a part of uh, uh, the great national register of uh, patients with rheumatoid arthritis so who had an adequate response to uh, DMRs and who received tofacitinib. You can see that uh, I have so much collaborators and uh, thank you so much. <laughs> all of them for its hard work. Uh, you can see that it's 20 medical centers uh, in uh, uh, 16 uh, main towns all around Russian Federation. So the study group uh, consists of uh, 88 ERA patients. It's an open observational study. The mean age, uh, was 53, and uh, up to 80% of patients were women, and the main disease duration was five years, and uh, the most of the patients were positive by RF and have uh, had the high disease activity by index dust CRP. Uh, most of the patients received metatrexate and uh, 18% riflenamate, and all of the patients received tofacitinib 10 milligrams uh, per day. Uh, so um, the severity of pain was assessed using the brief pain inventory questionnaire, signs of central sensitization using the central sensitization inventory questionnaire, and the activity, as you know, as an index death CRP. Um, and uh, the follow-up period was uh, seven, uh, one week, two weeks, uh, one month, three months, and six months of follow-up. Uh, so about the results. After three and uh, six months of therapy, there was a significantly statistically decrease in disease activity according to the CRP index in comparison with baseline level. Uh, there was a, a statistically significant difference because this CRP after three and six months. Low error activity after three months was achieved in 64% of patients. According, according to our data, we use the use of JAK inhibitors in, in ERA allows for rapid clinical improvement. Uh, as you see, after seven days, the intensity of pain decreased by more than 20%. And after 28 days, the number of patients with a decrease in pain intensity 
more than 50% from the baseline level was almost 60%. Uh, so the pain reduction was accompanied by positive dynamics of parameters of physical and social activity of patients assessed by the BPI questionnaire. Uh, so as important result of our work was the confirmation uh, of the influence of tofetacinib on central sensitization assessed using CSI questionnaire. During treatment, there was a pronounced and statistically significant dynamics of this indicator. Uh, this can be considered as a confirmation of the specific effect of JAK inhibitors on the development of chronic pain. Uh, so there was a strong correlation between the number of patients with significant pain reduction after 28 days and the number of patients who achieved a low ERA activity after three and six months. So the main results of our study confirmed that uh, there is a concordance between a rapid uh, pain decrease and inflammatory activity of the disease in a long period of observation. So, uh, so our conclusions, so you can see in a slide, we show the statistically significant correlation between an early good response to tofacetinib, pain reduction by 50% of MOMO after uh, 28 days, and the achievement of low error activity after three and six months of therapy. Uh, these results uh, clarify the relationship between pain and immune disorders underlying to the development uh, and progression of RA. The effects of tofacetinib therapy on central sensitization confirms the presence of specific effects in JAK inhibitors affecting the development of uh, chronic pain. Uh, thank you so much for your attention. Uh, I hope it will be interesting. Hello, I'm Laure Gossec, a rheumatologist from Paris, France. And it's a pleasure to present to you our work on the association between improvements in patient reported outcomes and improvements in disease activity in patients with psoriatic arthritis treated with upatacidinib or adalimumab from a phase three trial. So we know that the objective of treatment in psoriatic arthritis is to achieve disease control defined by remission or low disease activity. But it's also important to improve patient reported outcomes since these are indicators of treatment effectiveness assessed by the patient. Our objective in this work was to examine the association between the improvements in patient reported outcomes and achieving disease control assessed by stringent measures of disease control, such as remission or low disease activity in patients with psoriatic arthritis. We performed a post hoc analysis of a phase three randomized controlled trial, which is a select one PSA study, where patients received either upadacitinib 15 or 30 milligrams or adalimumab versus placebo, and we assessed results at 24 weeks. We defined stringent disease control as achieving remission or low disease activity measured by either MDA for low disease activity DAPSA remission or PASDAS remission for remission, and finally a measure of important improvement, which is the ASR70 response. 
And we cross-tabulated these measures of disease control with achieving improvements or good status in terms of patient-reported outcomes. And the main patient-reported outcomes we explored were FACET for fatigue, SF36 physical and mental components for general health-related quality of life, and also the WPAI for impairment or improvement in terms of work outcomes. So we were able to analyze more than 1,700 patients. We pulled patients from the active uh, treatment groups and the placebo groups. And these patients had a mean of six years of disease duration, and they had quite high disease activity at baseline with a mean swollen joint count of 11 and tender joint count of 20. The first result is that overall, we found the proportion of patients who achieved clinical measures of stringent disease control were more important for low disease activity here, MDA reached in 32% of patients, than remission reached in 10 to 13% of patients, whereas ACR70 was reached in the middle category of 23% of patients. Then we explored if patients who um, were improved above minimal clinically important difference for the different patient reported outcomes were also reaching stringent disease control. Firstly, we found that for MDA, patients who achieve um, improvement above MCID are indeed reaching more often MDA. And in this case, we found that around 40% of patients were reaching improvement above MCID for the patient reported outcomes, and that among these patients, up to half of them were reaching MDA. And for patients who reached a normative value of fatigue or a normative value of quality of life assessed by SF36, it was up to 75% of these patients who would reach stringent disease control defined by low disease activity, so MDA. Among patients who do not improve in terms of their patient reported outcomes, it's interesting to note that around 20% of them do still reach um, MDA, so low disease activity. When we look more specifically now at remission outcomes, we find again a strong link between reaching improvement in patient reported outcomes and reaching remission. But because it's much more difficult to reach remission, patients who improve in terms of, of their patient reported outcomes, only 15 to 20% of them are reaching remission status. But among patients who do not improve for their patient reported outcomes, only 2 to 8% of them do reach remission status. So it's very difficult to reach remission if you're not improving in terms of patient reported outcomes. And for ACR70, the results were a little bit in the middle with around 30 to 40% reaching uh, ACR70 if they did reach improvement in their patient reported outcomes. So to conclude, dear colleagues, we found that patients who uh, reported clinically meaningful improvements or even more so normative value for key patient reported outcomes were more likely to achieve stringent measures of disease control um, reaching MDA or ACR70 response was much easier and therefore was found when around 50% uh, of patients who reached improvement in their patient reported outcomes. 
whereas reaching remission is much more difficult. And therefore, even among patients who do improve for patient reported outcomes, we observed only 15 to 35% of remission. These results demonstrate an association between improvement in patient reported outcomes and achievement of stringent disease control, which may suggest that patient reported outcomes are a way to assess treatment efficacy when treating with upadacitinib or a TNF inhibitor in psoriatic arthritis. Have a lovely Congress. Hello, my name is Anthony Seba. I am a rheumatologist in clinical practice and assistant clinical professor at the University of South Florida in Tampa, Florida. I'm a co-author on the abstract headed pain in patients with rheumatoid arthritis who did or did not achieve treatment response based on improvement in swollen joints with baricitinib clinical trials. Um, I wanted to preface this by discussing the genesis of this. There's been increasing uh, data accumulating that in rheumatoid arthritis, the joint inflammatory process is not solely responsible for the pain that's felt by patients with RA. We've all seen patients who present with pain in the MCPs, PIPs, wrists and shoulders, and often these are women in their 20s through the 50s, the right demographic for rheumatoid. And we're hesitant to call this rheumatoid because they have no signs of inflammation. They only have pain. The obverse of this is patients who come with big swollen joints with uh, sometimes with erosions and no pain whatsoever. These patients are regarded as robust rheumatoid. And these just both to seem to illustrate the notion that pain can be disconnected from inflammation. So to further explore that, we looked at an analysis of the so-called RA beam study, which was a baricitinib study from several years ago. Now, baricitinib is a JAK, a selective JAK inhibitor, JAK12. And the study had about 1,200, roughly 1,200 patients. There were three arms, and those are in the bottom left of these, this poster. There was placebo for 24 weeks, and then baricitinib, four milligrams, I need to emphasize this dose for uh, US uh, listeners, with the standard dose is two milligrams, and ADA. ADA was given at 40 milligrams uh, every couple of weeks in the approved dose. Now, the primary uh, endpoint of the study was to explore the relationships of these three arms. We're interested in looking mainly at BARA and ADA with respect to pain and swelling. Now, we chose swelling because there's no other obvious metric of um, inflammation that we could use. We're using Barry, which does uh, affect IL-6, and IL-6 drives CRP and set rate down in virtually everybody. If we looked at patient global assessment, that's driven by pain, and physician global assessment is largely influenced by patient global assessment. So the most independent metric we could find of uh, inflammation was joint swelling. And we will be interested in what happens if we compare patients who did have reduction in joint swelling and those who didn't. So the first thing I should comment on is that the overwhelming majority of patients in both ADA and um, Barry did in fact get a 50% reduction in joint swelling. Now let's look at the line graph, the first line graph on the left. That's patients who did get a 50% improvement in swollen joint count at week 12. And you can see that just stepping back for a moment to the broadest terms, you can see that 
both ADA and Barry are differentiated from placebo at 12 weeks. And you can also see, if you look at Barry in the next uh, figure, the next line graph, even in patients who didn't improve at 50% uh, joint swelling, there was still a reduction in pain. So Barry seems to reduce pain uh, whether or not there's pain, uh, swelling reduction. However, the magnitude of the pain reduction is perhaps somewhat better, uh, somewhat greater, or appears greater in the group that had a 50% improvement in swollen joint count. Now, that's not true with ADA. ADA has quite a nice reduction if you get a 50% reduction in swollen joint count. But in the patients who did not have a swollen joint count reduction of 50% at week 12, ADA did not appear to make a big difference. There's a significant, a statistically significant difference between pain reduction in patients who did not have an improvement in joint swelling between Barry and ADA. And you'll see the same thing at 24 weeks. They're generally similar uh, in terms of the magnitude, in terms of the 12-week uh, results and the 24-week results. And again, at 24 weeks, there's a significant difference uh, favoring Barry between Barry and Ada in terms of pain reduction among patients who do not appear to have uh, a 50% reduction in swollen joint count. In order to try and clarify this further, we did look at the uh, swollen joint count 20% threshold that's in the bottom right. And once again, you see that Ada and Barry are somewhat similar in the patients who had an improvement in 20% swollen joints. But again, if you look at the swollen joint count among those who did not have an improvement, that's at the right-hand uh, uh, graphic, there's a very substantial statistical difference between Barry and Ada. Now, the reason this wasn't the, the primary endpoint of this retrospective analysis is the numbers are very small. As you can see, there's 40, 50, something like that in, the, in these arms. So it's obviously 20% of 1,200. So the numbers are much smaller, and uh, the statisticians felt that this was less reliable. So the, the main emphasis here is on the 50%. But it's interesting to know that even among those with a 20% um, non-reduction in pain, there's a difference between uh, Barry and Adam. So to summarize, the two points that I wanted to emphasize are that there does appear to be um, a mechanistic differential uh, effect in reducing pain between those patients who do have reduction in inflammation and those who don't. There may well be some medications that focus much more on reducing the pain. And we've all seen patients who seem to respond very, very well uh, with inflammation, but still continue to have pain. That may, have, may be a function of the medication that we choose. We don't know enough to inform this decision, but it's interesting to know that there do appear to be differences in medicines that work similarly for inflammation. And I would encourage everybody to start measuring pain as an independent variable um, early on and follow pain as a metric. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this edition of ACR Highlights. I hope you enjoyed these presentations. Make sure to subscribe to CSF Podcasts on Apple, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out on 
Congress content of, or any of our other uh, usual monthly presentations. You can also visit CSF webpage at cytokinesignaling.com where you can access a whole range of resources from the monthly slide summaries of latest papers to accredited CME courses and even more. Thanks for listening.